Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I cannot carry a cop. Welcome to Facebook Live, and for some of you who are not catching this on Facebook Live, you're going to get the audio feed coming up pretty soon in the next episode. So uh, thanks for watching, thanks for tuning in. Let me remind you, this podcast is... Sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of fine holsters, and uh, I, I use them a lot. Most of you have heard me talk about them now for a long time, but I'm a firm believer in Concealment Solutions products. ConcealmentSolutions.com and the coupon code HANDGUNWORLD, which is all one word, will get you a 10% discount on anything except the belts. Now, one of the really cool products that I'm going to show off is this new uh, Glock 48 holster that Concealment Solutions uh, sent to me. Jason did a good job with this. ConcealmentSolutions.com. Excellent holster outside the waistband for the Glock 48. Uh, conceals very well. Makes it really nice to be able to carry outside the waistband and uh, keep it very well concealed. So I want to start this episode by asking you for some questions if you got some questions you want to ask that's pretty much what this live is all about a few weeks ago Ben Branham and I did this and uh, a lot of people really enjoyed it you just have me tonight but I'm gonna give it my best shot so I want to talk about the condition of your gun let me first first talk about that the what condition is is your gun in right now and why do I bring this up? Well, first of all, I'm not talking about whether it's in good working condition or not, or, or whether it's in like new condition. What I'm talking about is, do you have a round in the chamber? Do you always know what condition your gun is? First of all, I want to talk about people that carry without a round in the chamber, because that's, that's basically what we call in the firearms world a, a condition of your firearm. I, I think that's uh, a, a very bad thing to do, and I hear that a lot. I've been doing this podcast a little over eight years, and a lot of people, I've, I've read and heard that they carry their gun without a round in the chamber. So it begs a question. Why do you want to carry an unloaded gun? Because that's what it is. 
it's it's an unloaded gun. And I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why people want to carry. They want to go through all the effort of carrying a gun, and, and holstering it, and 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 adjusting their wardrobe to carry an unloaded gun. The idea that you're going to draw your gun and you're going to rack around in the chamber and then defend your life, all that time that that extra it takes. You know, I see a lot of people that that have a hard time just drawing a loaded gun and getting their first two rounds on target. In many of the training classes that I've taught with Ben Branham and even a lot of the training classes where I've been a student, I've seen people takes two or three seconds for them to get their gun out and get a couple of rounds on target right away. Most of us know the first two rounds, uh, probably the first two or three are going to be the most important that you're going to fire if you have to use your gun. So if you haven't practiced efficiently drawing your gun, your loaded gun, then, then what makes you think that you would be good drawing your unloaded gun and racking around like that to get it ready for the fight? I just, I think it's a bad idea. If you don't have the confidence in yourself to, to carry a loaded gun, then I think the fix for that is good training. Take some good classes. Instead of leaving one out of the chamber, take some good classes and and learn how to responsibly, effectively, and safely carry. If you have a good holster, you have a good belt. And by the way, what's a good holster? A good holster. Whoops. I guess I better put the right gun in the right holster. A, a good holster completely covers the trigger guard. So as you can see with this holster right here, nothing, while it's holstered on my belt, nothing can fire this gun. Same thing with a good inside the waistband holster. Nothing should be able to fire this gun. If it is a flexible holster, in other words, if, if the top of the holster flexes, it could get inside the trigger guard and it could accidentally press the trigger. So if the gun is holstered properly, you're not gonna you're not gonna shoot yourself. It's if, if it's a good holster. Now if you're careless, if you're careless and you're putting the finger in the trigger when you're drawing, get better training. You know, if you have to sign up for a class, if you have to go to a competition match, things like that, it's all a training function. But I think I think you're going through a lot of trouble and a lot of effort carrying an unloaded gun when I just don't think the advantages are are on your side if you don't have one in the chamber. Any questions about that or comments about that or if somebody has experience, uh, type away in the comments and I'll talk about that. The other thing I want to talk about is what happens when you take your gun out of the safe. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak from personal experience. I'm going to talk about something that I've done. And I've done this more than once. I'm going to go ahead and admit it right here on Facebook Live. And it's going to be on my podcast when this audio recording releases on the 15th of May. I've done this. I've taken a gun out of my safe. And I have holstered it. I've holstered it just like that. Put it on my belt. And I've carried it all day long. At the end of the day, when I was done carrying, I 
unholstered my weapon, and before I put it back in the safe, I just decided to check it. Guess what I found more than once? I didn't have a loaded gun, or there wasn't one in the chamber. Not because I carry without a gun in the chamber. I did not purposely do that. I forgot to check the condition of my gun, to check to see if it was fully loaded when I took it out of the safe. Now, how does that happen? There's lots of reasons. As I was thinking back on one of the recent incidences when I did that, is I was showing the gun to somebody. I had a guest here at the house, at the Handgun World studio, and I was showing it to somebody, so I unloaded the gun. And when I got done showing it, I put it back in the safe, unloaded, and that was it. About a week went by because I didn't carry that particular firearm for about a week. I carried something else. So after that week, I forgot whether there was a round in the chamber or not, and I assumed that there was. Guess what? No round was in the chamber. Okay? Now, as I'm standing or as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm always, before I demonstrate anything, I'm going to check the condition. Now, I know that there's a round in the chamber right now. Okay, and you saw it came out. How did I know that? Because I knew I put in a magazine with ammo and I racked around into the chamber. But here I am doing this live and I know what I just did. Fast forward a week. You don't know whether you put it into your safe loaded or unloaded, especially if you were showing it to somebody or we all have uh, situations sometimes where we do have to unload our firearm before putting it into the safe or before storing it. So I've done that. Don't do that. Now I make a, a concerted effort. When I take the gun out of the, the safe, here's the way I like to do it. I like to put my weak hand under the gun just like that. I come over the top with my other hand with two fingers and I just... Pull the slide back about a quarter of an inch. And I just look inside the chamber. And if you pull it back far enough, you can see inside, but you're not going to eject around. And I think this is a real safe way to do it. A lot of people do this. Uh, I don't really like chamber checking that way. I don't like to do this because I've done this in a training class before. I've gone and I've sent around right out of the chamber. Okay, when I didn't want to. All I wanted to do is do a chamber check. You, it's, you can't really do it like this because now you're covering up the chamber. You can't see it. So, very simple. Just come under the gun with this hand right here, over the top with this hand, and take a look at it. Uh, it's one reason why I like guns with front slide serrations. It makes the chamber checking nice and easy. Okay? Uh, if they've got a smooth slide, slippery slide, it makes it a little bit more difficult. I do that whenever I take a gun out of the safe. Uh, you might want to when you unholster and you go to put your gun in the safe. It's up to you whether you want to keep it in your safe loaded or unloaded. If you've got a quick release safe that's by your bedside, for example, obviously you want to keep it in there loaded. 
but if you're going to put it into a, a storage safe, you might want to unload it. Even after you think that you've unloaded the pistol, and even after you check it, I think it's a good idea, one more time, do your chamber check, just like that, to make sure, okay, it's unloaded, no magazine, I can put it in the safe now and feel comfortable that it's not loaded. Just some food for thought. Uh, don't be somebody, and by the way, I've seen this in training classes too. Oh yeah, this happens a lot. Uh, it, it happens a lot in training classes and occasionally in a um, in a competition match, but not too often in a co competition match because range safety officers are there and they make you load your gun because you start you start with an unloaded gun in competition. But in training classes, during uh, during what we call the hot range time of the class, which is most of the class, uh, except for the very beginning of most classes that I've been to, guns are always hot, means they're always loaded. I've seen people get up to the line, and when the instructor gives a command and says, you know, you need to you need to fire, you know, three to the body, one to the head, and and then you're finished. So I've heard this, the the I've heard the uh, the instructors say go and people draw, click, right? The loudest sound a shooter hears is what? It's a bang when he's expecting a click or a click when he's expecting a bang. So I've seen this. I've seen them draw, click, and why? Why did they just get the click? Because when they loaded up. They may have thought they chambered around, but they didn't, and they didn't check. Maybe they just did this and then holstered the gun, thought that they chambered. Or maybe what happened was uh, they never, they, maybe I've, I've seen this. I've seen people walk up to the line with a completely empty gun because they're nervous. So, it happens. It happens more than you think. People will step up to the shooting line uh, in a training class, and that first shot will be a click. Because they didn't... Now, and I've, I've had people differ. Ben, ben differs with me on that. Ben says, ah, well, you know, it's not all that necessary to be chamber checking. I don't agree. And every time it happens, every time a student draws their pistol and they hear the click... When they're expecting the bang, I give Ben a hard time. I say, there you go. And, and, it and so I think to myself, if they're doing it in a training class, how likely is it that they could be doing that in real life? Okay, so something to think about. Questions or comments on that? Uh, while I'm waiting for some questions and, uh, and comments, uh, I want to talk about a few things that I did to one of my guns. So I'm going to talk about my uh, third generation uh, Glock 19 that I've got all souped up. I'm going to eject the magazine. Okay, there's no ammo in the magazine. I'm going to make sure the gun's clear. Okay, I look once this way and then I'll do my chamber check. So I got a clear gun. Uh, some modifications I want to talk about this. Haven't talked about this in a while. First, uh, the grip job I want to talk about. This is a third-gen Glock 19. Uh, it's 
it's my second favorite pistol. I'll talk about my favorite a little bit later. I've removed the finger grooves, undercut the trigger guard, and uh, I've I've had it uh, I've had it textured nicely. But see if you can notice this: no texture on the side of the frame, no texture on either side. It's the standard Glock third generation texture. I've only had texture put on the front strap and on the back strap. Now why? For one specific reason. First of all, uh, there are times I do carry without an undershirt. And some of the texture on some of the pistols, like for example this 2.0 version shield, some of the texture is very, very rough. And uh, for me, carrying it against my bare skin all day long after 11 or 12, 13 hours of carry, that gun's been rubbing on my skin and it doesn't feel so good. So the parts that rub against my body, I've left untextured. Most important part is the front strap and the back strap anyway. So just a suggestion, something I thought I would... I would throw out there the undercut of the trigger guard. I think it's very important. Uh, this is a, a pretty well done job right here. I'm going to adjust it over to about like that. A little bit easier to see like that. It, it enables me to get a nice high grip on this Glock. Uh, I think I've probably got a few hundred dollars worth of work into this. Yeah, I gave it a thousand round trigger job. I gave it about a 3,000 round trigger job before I had any work done. Absolutely no work done to the trigger at all. Okay, this is a stock trigger, stock third generation Glock trigger. It's the way I like to keep my carry guns. I'm not a big fan of messing around. The last time, a couple weeks ago, when we did a Facebook Live and I did it with Ben, somebody asked a question we didn't get a chance to get to. And, uh, and that is somebody asked, what do you think about how should you have your trigger on a carry gun? Should you modify it? Should you not? I'm not a big fan of modifying it. Uh, I took Masada Yub's class twice. Mass makes a great case for not modifying your carry gun trigger. In addition to that, though, I think in many cases it's a waste of money. I have... You might agree, you might not agree. I have spent a lot of money on trigger jobs, on pistols in the past, and they just, I don't shoot all that much better. Um, put it this way, if you can't shoot, you can't shoot. And a well-modified trigger, if it's lightened, smoothed, or whatever, usually is not going to give you that much benefit. Now, if you've shot 1,000 rounds, 2,000 rounds, 3,000 rounds, and you really got to know your gun, Give it a trigger job. Personal opinion. On this third gen, I do have the the Vickers base pads. I really like the Vickers uh, base pads. I know some people say, hey, Bob, you don't need those with a fifth gen. Um, maybe, maybe not. The, uh, the cutout on the front of a fifth gen Glock drives me crazy. I don't like it. Uh... It's why I don't have a 5th gen Glock anymore. My pinky rides right on that cutout. And the sharp parts of the cutout on a Glock dig in 
to this pinky very bad when I'm shooting. So don't particularly care for that. Some of the new Glock pistols, uh, I think the new Gen 5 uh, MOS does not have does not have the cutout. The cutout supposedly so you can rip the magazine out. But here's why I don't like that. Okay. Most people want to rip the magazine out this way. That's one of the reasons why I like these Vickers base pads. See how they're a little bit wider where you need them to be wider? Okay. People want to rip. It's, it's a natural motion to rip the magazine out this direction. It's not natural to twist your hand like this. And see, I got to move my pinky out of the way to do that. I got to move my pinky out of the way. And then I got to twist my hand like this on a 5th gen Glock to rip the magazine out if I have to do that to clear a nasty malfunction. I can keep a full grip on the pistol and I can, I can while I get a full grip, I can press the mag release. Actually, it, if it won't come out freely, I can rip it out this direction like this. It's a lot easier. I don't have to move my pinky much at all, even if anything. So that's another modification I've done. Also, I don't know if you can see this or not. I've also had texture added. I call these the thumb pads or the thumb rests. On this side, so I can index easily with my uh, trigger finger when I'm not firing. It gives me a good, I can feel, okay, my finger is off the trigger and it's on the frame because I can feel it nicely. And then on the other side, uh, see if you can see that right there. This helps for me to get my thumb, get a good grip on this frame with my thumb, with my support hand thumb. Let's go like, just like that. So that's another recommendation uh, that I highly suggests. It helps. Uh, hi, Derek. Thanks for joining. I'm going to go ahead and like. That's another um, recommendation that I, that I suggest is uh, the thumb pads right here. Trigicon HD sights. I still haven't gotten around to put on the uh, XSF8 sights. I'm probably going to do that on my Glock 48. Uh, maybe even get some for the uh, the Smith and Wesson shield. Uh, this 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 2.0 shield still has the factory sights as you can see. So this might get some XSF8 sights so I can test those, review those for you. But if you have a Glock pistol, I would I would recommend these kinds of modifications all around. They help a little bit. Here's another modification right here that I only suggest one time. This grip plug. Only time I ever suggest putting a grip plug in a Glock is if you've got these type of base pads that allow you to rip the magazine out. Otherwise, there's a nice space right here to help you rip it out if you've got like a third gen Glock that doesn't have the cutout and maybe it's too smooth and you can't rip it out this way and you just got to get your thumb in there and rip it out like that because you have no other choice again not preferred get some base pads so you can do it and rip it out just like that um, there's any questions or comments let me know stock barrel okay I only have one one pistol that doesn't have a stock barrel. Uh, let me tell you why. I'm not that good of a shooter. I can't. I can't outshoot a uh, a stock barrel on on any pistol. 
And uh, if you go back and you watch Modern Handgunners, the, the video channel that Ben Branham and I are, are doing now where we're, we do uh, gun reviews, we just recently shot the Glock 48 and the Glock um, uh, 43X. Go back and watch uh, that video if you haven't. And uh, notice the group sizes that we're getting with these two pistols, the G48 and the G43X. Completely stock guns, even stock sights. There you go. Even stock Glock sights. Excellent groupings. I mean, they're... They're they're perfectly accurate, so I don't I don't want to spend 125 150 dollars on a uh, on a uh, aftermarket barrel when it doesn't make me shoot any better and I don't I don't reload right now. I know over the past several years people have said Bob you need to reload. Uh, I need to try to find the time to teach myself to do it and then to actually do it. So because I don't reload and I don't use lead bullets. The stock barrels on a Glock, and of course, that's about the only pistol where it's a problem. M&P pistols, XDs, Rugers, H&Ks, SIGs. Uh, I guess shooting lead bullets through those guns isn't much of a problem. So, uh, John, how you doing? John, Dr. John, Mark, Tony's here, uh, Len's here, Charles, Greg, Donovan, Jake. And uh, let's see here. That's uh, it's what I want to cover right now about condition and uh, and modifications of pistols. Something else that <clears throat> that I want to talk about is gun rights. Most of you know that I don't get too political uh, for a reason. I don't I don't like to because it can be way too divisive. I think most of you know that you know my stance on on the issues in general uh it's fairly conservative but i i'm not going to i'm not going to devote large sections of my podcast and my shows to politics but i will say this i think not since probably the early obama years have there been such a, a huge effort to attack gun rights, and uh, there's been some there's been some controversy lately. Well, not lately, last several years with certain gun rights organizations. One real large organization with um, three popular letters in its name. Uh, I'm not going to suggest whether you should contribute to them anymore or not. But but here's what I'll say. Uh, it seems to me just my my everyday guy opinion, my personal opinion, I'm not well connected to the politics of the gun world, not real well connected. It just seems to me looking from the outside in and taking a look at what's happening, seems like the local organizations are are making a huge impact and, and maybe even more of an impact than the national gun rights organizations. Seems like the local organizations are. Are, are having a great, I don't know, what do you think? I mean, tell me what, what your opinion is on that. So if, you, if you've if you got money to spend and you want to spend it in in gun rights, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. John figured out, uh, what's that three-letter organization? Come on, you all figured it out. If you want to spend the money, it may be your local 
your local chapter of whatever gun rights organization in your area. Maybe that's a good way, good place to put it. Now, now the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, I've donated to more than once. They're national, and they, yeah, John, yeah, John brings up a good point. We need to support both. I just think that if you have a limited amount of money, especially if you happen to live in a state that's very restrictive, very gun restrictive. It seems to me like the uh, that like the local organizations or Second Amendment Foundation is going to be maybe the best return for your money. I don't know. That's all. I'm kind of I'm kind of venturing into too many uh, political waters right now, but I had to say it because it just seems like you know you guys know I'm in Texas, and uh, even in Texas we got we got challenges, some challenges, not not as many as, as some states out there, obviously. Uh, I feel I feel I feel bad for some of you in in some of the states here in America, and if you're watching me from uh, another country, maybe even in your country, it's you know a lot of places just don't take Second Amendment seriously, and for the life of me, I can't figure out why because Second Amendment's a civil right, and and so many of these people that are civil rights activists, they want to protect all your civil rights except your firearms civil right which which is a civil right so that's what i'll say about that if, if you got the money like john john's point support both but if you don't give some good thought to to local state organizations they'll seem to be pretty good out there um any suggestions i want to hear about some gun modifications also because i've talked a little bit about it with uh, with my third generation Glock here, and uh, you know I, I know a lot of you out there you you modify your guns red dots, grip jobs, trigger jobs, and things like that. You know about the only replacement trigger that I've ever actually had any success with is Apex Apex triggers, uh, especially for my uh, M and P pistols. It's, you know, Apex Apex triggers and, and M&P pistols are a match made in heaven. I mean, they are. And and the M&P 2.0 compact that I have with the Apex trigger, duty, duty weight trigger. It does not lighten the trigger pull at all, but it, it smooths it out, shortens the reset a little bit, keeps the trigger press, duty weight. Awesome. It's an awesome shooter don't quit the nra just don't send more money need to have a voice to fix it that's true john that's true uh maybe not quit it but maybe not send more money if you have extra and uh if if you know people that um that have made uh, modifications that have have really helped them uh let's hear about them uh, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, just you know, the simple fact of spending the money, spending the money on a trigger modification, probably money's probably not going to buy you a skill. I mean, maybe to maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. I'll tell you what I've learned. A lot of people now the big craze right now are red dot pistols, and I'm a I'm a big fan of red dot pistols. Spend a lot of money on a red dot. Uh, for one of my Glocks, 
took a class. Some of you watching right now took that red dot class with me. And uh, that's what you got to do. You got to take a class. And uh, especially if you're going to do something like a red dot. Most of the uh, competition matches. <clears throat> excuse me. Most of the uh, competition matches now have red dot divisions where you can shoot your red dot pistol in a certain uh, division of that match. Awesome. Awesome idea. You got to get out there and train with it. You got to draw and present many, many, many hundreds, if not thousands of times to be able to be real effective and fast with that red dot. I think many of you know Carl Wren's uh, study. Uh, Carl Wren of KR Training. I've taken three of Carl's classes, by the way. Highly recommend. And, and his study pretty much showed that if somebody has not taken a lot of training with their red dot, it can actually slow them down. So you gotta you gotta work with that. John says flat faced Suarez triggers. Yes, flat faced Suarez triggers for Glocks and the flat faced the flat I call them. Um, just I just call them rigor, flat trigger. I think that's what Apex calls them. And one of the things I like about the flat trigger is it, t it tends to give me more leverage. So it makes the trigger pull feel lighter, even though it's really not lighter. It feels because I got more leverage. It's physics. You know, when I'm pulling on something that's straight up and down, it seems to give me more leverage to make that clean trigger break than if... And, and here's, here's something that drives me really nuts. These these really curvy curvy triggers on M and P pistols. I, I'm learning to get used to them, but this uh, this bending curvy trigger, I, I I'm not a big fan of that. You know, a, a Glock's trigger is a lot more. It, it's curvy, but not as bad as an M and P. So uh, the flat triggers are, uh, I think, the way to go. Uh, thanks for watching, John. Have a good one. He's got something that he's got to do. So, uh, how about some questions, comments? Uh, maybe also, I'm looking for some uh, show suggestions for the June 1st episode because uh, I think I'm going to be uh, doing some more interviews coming up soon. And I like to be able to ask key questions to the people that uh, I'm talking to. One interview I'm working on right now, I don't want to announce it just yet. Haven't confirmed it, but once I do, I'll be announcing it a lot on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, but I would like to get some suggestions. Give me some questions as to um, what you'd like me to ask my guests. And uh, with that, I'm going to pause for a little bit, uh, about 60 seconds or so. Uh, probably go get a drink of water here pretty soon. <clears throat> Let you guys... Um, Think about some of these uh, these topics that I talked about. Uh, maybe throw some more questions on the feed and uh, see where that goes. So 60 to 60 to 90 seconds. I'll be right back. I want to talk some more about competition. Competition shooting. One time I had a listener send me a message that said that uh, he doesn't competition shoot. He won't go to competition matches because he felt like there were too many good shooters that would shoot better than he did 
and that it would kind of embarrass him a little bit, and he wouldn't have much fun. So I want to address that. I've touched on that a little bit in some previous episodes, but something I want to say about competition shooting, I've been doing it since 2005, so 14 years now. You would think that I'd be a master class shooter. I'm not, not even close. But I go as often as I can make the time to go. It's not about the money. Because most competition matches are 25 or $30. And you're going to shoot 100 rounds. You'll probably be there about three hours. But you're going to have a ton of fun. And you're going to do some things on a shooting range that you just don't get to do in a lot of places. Like drawing from the holster and, and rapid fire and things like that. But if you're worried about getting embarrassed because somebody else might be there that's a lot better shooter. Hey, I got news. Uh, there won't be just one person a better shooter than you. There'll probably be about 20 people or 30 people that are better shooters than you are. Because they probably practice thousands of times a month. They probably dry fire practice two or 3,000 times a month. They reload, and so their ammo costs are probably a lot lower, or as we say, uh, maybe you don't save money, but you get to shoot more for the same price. Maybe they've been doing it longer. That's not the point. The point is not to go beat those guys. The point is to go get better with your skills and compete against yourself and make yourself better. The point is to go there, shoot it one time, go there the next time, get a little bit better, go there the next time and suck and figure out what mistakes you made and what happened, correct those mistakes, and keep on doing that. And the other thing I found out that competition shooting really allows you to figure out what do you need to work on right now. You know, for me, sometimes my trigger press is fine, but my draw is, is bad. Or maybe my draw is good, Trigger press is okay, but I can't reload because you do a lot of reloading in competition shooting. And my reloads will be terrible. So I know I got to practice on my reload or I got to practice on my draw. And you just can't get enough practice. I don't think that competition shooting is training. There's a big difference. In one of my recent episodes, I talked about the five steps of the learning process that I learned when I was uh, young in my 20s. And repetition is one of them. So if you're, if you're going through the repetitions and the practice, then you're training. But if you're just showing up for a three-hour match and, and to have a bunch of fun, that's good practice. And I don't think it's training. You might not learn much new uh, because you don't get professional instruction really at a, at a competition match. But what you get is you get several things, several benefits. You get, you get to be around a lot of really cool gun people, gun enthusiasts, who not only want to help you, but they're having fun with you. You get to, like I said, do things you can't do at your regular public range. You get to pay 30 bucks or $25 and just have an absolute blast. And you get to see other guns that people are shooting. And, and sometimes they'll let you try what they're 
shooting or or at least you get to see how it works for them you if you're the kind of person that does like to tinker with your guns you're going to be able to talk some people to some people there that they they make modifications to guns that you might not have even ever thought of or or you've only heard about it but you've never seen them in action so that's another great benefit of competition shooting like i said a lot of competition clubs now have they now have red dot specific divisions what that means is you're only going to be competing against other people with red dot guns so let's say you show up with a gun that does not have a red dot well you won't be competing with the people that have a red dot for example that might be well trained with it so i highly recommend it uh if you're here in this area you might see me occasionally at uh, at the, the local IDPA matches here in the San Antonio area. You might, as we have a club here called AASA, which stands for American Action Shooting Association, and uh, Ted Bonnet is the um, the president and the guy that runs AASA. Can't say enough good things. Uh, a few weeks ago, I shot there. I was going to interview Ted. I didn't get a chance to, but I think I'll make it a point to do that. He's a great person to talk to in the gun industry and in competition shooting. So, so far, we have had, when I was talking about gun rights, that seemed to stir up a lot of comments there. (laughs) Um... And it typically does. You know, oh, <clears throat> pet peeve of mine I got to talk about. Here we go. I, mean, I might get on a soapbox a little bit. Gear. I want to talk about gear. You know, I've spent the time on this podcast now is 42 minutes. I've spent a good portion of 42 minutes talking about gear, modifications, guns. So I'm guilty of this too. Why is it? Maybe somebody can answer this question for me. Why is it, have you ever noticed, if you look at social media, you go on a gun forum, whatever, why is it that when somebody puts a post about gear, about a cool gun, a cool magazine, ammo, they get a hundred comments? Somebody like me puts a comment or a post out there about training and skill for comments. They don't want people don't want to talk about training. They don't want to talk about skill building, but they want to talk about the latest, coolest gun. And they want to complain about the manufacturers. Why don't this manufacturer do this? Why doesn't this manufacturer do this? And you know, I love the people that that will say things like what why doesn't so-and-so manufacturer make a gun especially a certain way that I like it? Really? They think that a gun manufacturer is going to go out of their way, you know, to manufacture a small amount of pistols exactly the way a few people like it. I, I work for a manufacturer of products. I've been a man, working for a manufacturer now since 1998. Wow can't believe nearly uh, 30 years anyway uh, I, I can't even add <laughs> it's uh, 31 years now 
but you, you know, no, 20, 21 years, whatever. I'm tired. Here's what I've learned about manufacturing. Most companies don't make specific, they don't make specific products unless they have guaranteed orders in large quantities. We've seen gun manufacturers do that. We've seen them make a thousand guns a certain way, maybe a special edition for somebody. But there was a guaranteed order from somebody. Maybe it was a distributor, maybe it was a large dealer, whatever. Somebody promised that manufacturer a large quantity of guns made that way. All manufacturers are that way. I don't work for a gun manufacturer, but the two manufacturers I've worked for since 1998, in our industry, we don't make specific custom products unless we have a large order. So it's one of the reasons I started talking about modifications uh, early on in this particular episode, because you can take a gun like a 1911 or like a Glock like this one or, or MPs or SIGs, whatever, and you can make them your own. You can make your gun your way. So if you purchase a, a firearm that's easy to customize, Make it, if you're not happy with the way the manufacturer made it, so what? Make it your way. Do whatever you want to it. Uh, and it's just a pet peeve. People will, will do a lot of complaining about manufacturers. And they'll get on the internet and they'll complain, complain, complain. Uh, good evening, Steve. Thanks for joining. But instead of complaining, you know, I mean, they're spending so much time complaining about the gun manufacturers... Why don't they just learn to improve? Learn to improve your skills. You, you know, quit complaining about what the gun manufacturer did not do and uh, make yourself better. An old mentor of mine when I was young, he used to have a, a saying I totally loved. He said, uh, stop wishing that life were easier. Wish you were better. And uh, that's something that I, I've remembered since... Uh, 1987 when I was working for the guy. Stop wishing life was easier. Just wish that you were better. And if you think about that, there's there's some teeth in that in that saying because it, especially when it comes to the firearms world, there's a there are a lot of good good guns made out, out there. I got to tell you. This gun right here, this uh, Smith and Wesson Shield, this is the 2.0 version. Fantastic gun. The quality of this gun is is outstanding. The accuracy is is outstanding. Um, there are very few people that can shoot better than this gun. And less than four hundred dollars, right? I think you can get them now for under three fifty if you get the version one shield. Maybe a little bit more than three fifty if you get the two version. Uh, so. People that are w wondering well, why won't they make guns better, maybe maybe they need to concentrate on getting to the level of the gun first. And then when you get to the level of your gun, gather some people together that will buy a thousand units of the perfect gun that you want that manufacturer to make 
Get a hold of that manufacturer. Place an order of a thousand units. They'll probably make your gun. But but until then, I don't know about you, but it's kind of a it's kind of a pet peeve of mine that I see people doing that and and uh, especially especially on the internet. It's one of the reasons why I stopped going on gun forums. I used to be in three popular gun forums. Yeah, Steve, I love I love my 2.0 uh, shield. Um, it's uh, oh, you say my two point my compact 2.0. Okay, you must mean your um, your uh, your double stack, and I like mine too. I got two, two of them, and uh, it's it's terrific. But the reason I stopped the gun forums is because you know I'd spend I'd spend an hour on a forum, and I'd read I I would read 25 complaints about gun manufacturers and two people that would actually post something that helped me that helped me learn and you know that's it's just a pet peeve of mine just another quick uh water break these live shows are a lot different than doing a a report a, a recorded podcast but that's okay i don't get to edit the live feed uh let's see Something else, some other comments here. Looks like we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. About ten or eleven people joining us. Sean just joined. Welcome, Sean. Uh, getting ready to wrap this up pretty soon. Been going on about uh, forty-nine or fifty minutes here, almost fifty minutes. But if anybody's got any particular questions, I'll take them. If it's something I don't uh, know the answer to, I'll be perfectly honest and say I don't know the answer, and then uh, try to follow it up with pointing you in uh, in the right direction. Oh, one more thing I want to cover before I wrap this up, unless I get some questions. In the last live uh, show that I did with Ben Branham, somebody asked about daily carry ammo, and we touched a little bit on that. Uh, but I want, I want to spend some more time on daily on daily carry ammo. In other words, what you should carry. I, I can't tell you what to carry uh, because every gun's different, and every gun's going to shoot a little bit different with certain types of ammo. What I will say is this: it's probably a good idea to carry. One of the types of ammunition that local law enforcement carries. And here's why. It's probably going to be easier to buy that ammo in bulk in your area, especially if you go to the store. Because they're probably going to be catering to law enforcement people. And I know that law enforcement people don't typically walk into a a retail store, but to get their ammo, but the local store is probably going to want to try to attract them when they might need a box or two here and there. But more importantly, if you use your gun in self-defense and you are carrying some kind of really, really specialized ammo, it could become a question, why were you carrying that kind of ammunition? There are plenty of other good 
am ammunition manufacturers that make good ammo like I like Federal HST okay I like 124 grain or 147 grain Federal HST a lot of people use Federal HST so it would be easier to make the argument well you know I'm just an everyday guy going about my everyday business and I had to defend myself and I'm just using a normal gun with normal ammunition that thousands of people use. Thousands of people use this ammunition in their gun. So what's wrong? There's nothing wrong with me. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to be Rambo uh, and and use something that that that's highly specialized. It's just just a personal opinion. That was one big point in in Masada Yub's Mag 40 class. I took it twice. It was one of the major points that I took away that really kind of stuck here in in my mind was yeah that makes a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense to use what local law enforcement is using and, and you know they use several different types of ammo but spear gold dots federal hst hornady like critical defense critical duty mainstream ammunition now i'm not talking about practice ammo i'm use whatever you want Whatever your gun will shoot, uh, even if, if you want to do like uh, like Ben Branham says, he uses the cheap Russian crap. <laughs> That's fine, you know what? And 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 he gets it to work in his uh, uh, M and P's and Glocks, so fine. But I know he doesn't carry cheap Russian crap. Okay, Steve asks me, would you be interested in helping me? Ah. Promote my blood cancer awareness organization that he started. It's called Driving the Fight on Facebook, and he's also a survivor of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. All right, Steve, join the join the non-Hodgkin's uh, survivor uh, club. Uh, I'm a member of that. You know, uh, I never I never wished to be a member of that, but that was a situation I found myself in four and a half years ago. Yes, Steve, I'll help you. I'll help you. Uh, send me an email about that. And uh, I'll do what I can. You know, I, I say, folks, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed every day. Uh, the, the doctors told me um, my, uh, my, my stage four, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, that I got diagnosed with in 2014, they gave me about, about a 65% chance of beating it. And uh, January of 2020 will be five years for me. So, and uh, you, you, you consider, they consider that you got it beat when you've gone five years cancer-free. So, uh, of course, Steve, I'll help you with that. Uh, Steve says that uh, his gun's like Hornady ballistic tip. All right, good. Cool. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the... The Lymphoma Survivors Club is a is a club I didn't choose. I, I didn't want to be a member of that, but uh, that's just the way life goes sometimes. Uh, okay, if there, I'm going to sign off here in about three or four minutes. If there are no other uh, questions, I do want to make one more uh, quick plug for. Um, uh, oh, you know what? I was going to talk about some magazine carriers, and uh, give me a minute. I'll be right back.
to the safe and back. Mag holder. Horizontal magazine carriers. See, here I'm talking about gear again. I'm guilty of it. I can't, can't stop talking about gear. We always like to talk about gear. But I'm a firm believer in carrying magazines horizontal, and, I, and I'll tell you why. For me, not everybody, this takes up less room on my belt than this does. Okay? And it conceals better. Uh, I carry this outside the waist, so my belt is here, and it's sitting in on, on top of my belt in front. Okay? And I can conceal it very well. If I carry like this, vertical, uh, for some reason, it doesn't conceal as well. This area of the magazine up here prints a lot. It has a tendency to rock out, rock out away from my belt, which causes the um, extra magazine I'm carrying to print badly, but it seems to distribute the weight better when I carry it horizontally. It distributes the weight. I mean, because this fully loaded Glock 19 mag is, is pretty heavy. So you gotta you got to distribute the weight. And so this type of magazine carry seems to do that for me. It doesn't move on my belt. It doesn't do this. It doesn't rock out. So it doesn't cause as much printing through my shirt. And I'm a big fan of it. A lot of people make horizontal mag carriers. Uh, until I started carrying magazines horizontally about four and a half years ago, I never gave it a thought. But since, since I've done it, Every time I have to carry magazines vertically, it's just very irritating. And I was talking about competition shooting earlier. And uh, in most competition leagues, you have to carry this way. They won't let you carry your magazines this way. And uh, that's a shame because I think if more people tried it, more people would do it. But you got to get a quality product. Mag holders, one of them. Uh, concealment solutions. Um... Yeah, Mark. <laughs> oh, man. I was going to say Concealment Solutions sells mag holders. Mark, the founder of Mag Holder, is online. So uh, that's great. I, I didn't plan this, by the way. But yes, Mark, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I'm extolling the virtues of carrying this way. Uh, it just works. It just it just really works. Um, I've got them now. I've got mag holders for Glock 19s, M&Ps. Uh, Walther PPS, Walther PPQ, and what's the other one I have? Uh, Sig. Um, pretty sure my Sig Legion series, I think, without digging through my safe. Uh, but good product, Mark. Check them out, MagHolder.com, and uh, uh, I, you 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 won't be disappointed. One last question. They're a lot more comfortable. Yes, they're a lot more comfortable if you sit all day like I do and driving a semi-truck. Driving anything. I do a lot of driving. My job, too. Yes, yes, it's a lot more comfortable. I, I'm glad you brought that up, Steve. It's something I didn't think about to talk about right now, but I'm glad you brought it up. It's a lot more comfortable. And, and by the way, not only is it a lot more comfortable like when you're sitting, but when you when, when you draw the mag and it's, and it's in front of your hip and you're carrying it like on the other side of your appendix like about you know for a right-handed shooter about 10 or 10 30 uh, it's not as much arm movement to 
take the mag out and insert it in your pistol. Uh, if I'm carrying them vertically, I got to reach back here like this, and I got to, I got to kind of twist my arm. And I'll tell you when that became, when that became very uh, advantageous to have horizontal mag carrier in in the front, carrying it up here like this. Where that became advantageous is in 2007. I had shoulder surgery, major shoulder surgery. I had rotator cuff repair, and on my left. So the side that I draw the mag with, that I like to draw the mag with. So uh, when I was recovering from shoulder surgery, <clears throat> doing this, forget it. That was out. That was that was bad. But I was not carrying with a horizontal mag carrier at that time. I wish I would have. Would have been a lot easier to access while I was recovering from shoulder surgery in that fashion. So... Again, uh, that's pretty much all I want to say. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning into this. And, you know, for those of you, I know a lot of you are on, 14, 15 people on tonight. Thank you very much. Uh, this is, this the audio portion of this is going to release on uh, May 15th. Uh, thanks, thanks for listening and watching tonight. For all of you who uh, tuned in, and for those of you who tune in every week, thank you very much. Uh, for listening to another episode. I'm Bob Main. This is the Handgun World Podcast, the, the video version of the Handgun World Podcast. I, I, I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. Remember that, and I, and I love to say this, and I, I'm going to go ahead and credit. You're welcome, Mark. I'm going to go ahead and credit uh, Paul Carlson at Safety Solutions Academy. He's the one that originally shared this with me. He got it from somebody else. But evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. And I wish more people would remember that because there's too many people thinking that these are evil and uh, they're not. These these don't do anything. They don't have a brain. They don't have emotions. They don't have feelings. So therefore, they are not evil. They cannot be evil. This, this machine, this piece of equipment, this tool cannot be evil. Uh, where evil comes from is uh, in the hearts of people. And so uh, that's the way I want to conclude this. Uh, thanks again for watching. Uh, remember to shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day, and uh, I'll talk to, you talk to you next time. Thanks.